That brings us to today and my message this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you happen to, or, or your Bible phone app, I know a lot of us are, are going to that technology, then I would, turn, I would ask you to turn to Ruth chapter 2. Now, this, this, it may surprise you that, that, that this is where we're going, but just follow me for a moment. Um, when we think about the great men of the Bible, we can go to the Hall of Faith and we can read about men like Abraham and David and Joseph and Moses. All these are great men of God. But I think a man who doesn't get enough uh, recognition and credit uh, his story is in the book of Ruth. And so the title of my message today is Being a Boaz in a Broken World. And we will hopefully see, as we look at the, the man Boaz, we will see an example of the way that we as men should operate today. My first point is that Boaz put others first. If we could read from Ruth chapter 2 verses 4 to 10, I think you'll see that. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather from the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go hence. But abide here fast by my maintenance. <clears throat> Let thine eyes be on the field that they do that, that that they do reap, and go thou after him. Have I charged not the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her faith and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Now we notice a couple things about Boaz straight off. First of all, in the beginning of our passage that we just read, we see that the first thing he does when he gets to his field is um, he says unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. Now I have the privilege of working at the Potter's House Christian School. And I'm grateful that I have employees and a boss who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who can encourage me in my faith even as I'm earning a paycheck. It's such a blessing. And those of you who work in ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. But how wonderful is it that Boaz's first thought as he's coming on to his reapers is to give them the blessing of the Lord. This is the way that we as men should be. We should be about blessing one another and also blessing our families and others that we come across. That should be a chief characteristic 
of a man of God. See, in, the, in, in this world in which we live, we have blurred the lines. We no longer have men and women who, by the way, God created for a purpose. We have, by and large, a society who doesn't even want to use gender labels anymore and doesn't know who they are. Because we've gone away from the simple truth that Jesus said when he said, have I not made them male and female from the beginning of time? And so if I may challenge you today, my challenge would be to be a man of the word. To be a man that follows after God with your whole heart. If God was the first thing out of Boaz's mouth in that morning when he went on to the reapers, what do you think he was spending his time doing? Spending time with the Lord. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And this tells me that Boaz had an abundant heart. So my first challenge to you is, pursue an abundant heart. Pursue having God at the forefront. As a cross-reference to um, Boaz putting others first, we saw that with the reapers, we saw that with the way he dealt with Ruth, and uh, he mentions the fact that he is a, he's a foreigner. Or, or, or Ruth mentions the fact that she's a foreigner, and he's, she says, well, why do you give me the time of day? Because I'm a foreigner. But if we look back in history, we find out that Boaz was the son of Salmon. And Salmon married Rahab after she was rescued from Jericho. Rahab was a Gentile harlot who God redeemed and brought into the family of the Israelites. And she would eventually be be an ancestor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so no doubt, because of his experience with his mother and his father, he was able to look past her race, past the fact that she was a foreigner, into who she really was. But let's look real quick, by way of cross-reference, at Philippians chapter 2. Because there's some admonishments for us that follow after the type of man that Boaz was. In Philippians chapter 2, and particularly verses 3 and 4. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'm going to get a little vulnerable here. And I'll let you know that it's been a heart desire of mine for many years, especially in the 12 years since I graduated from college, that God would provide me a help me, a wife to come alongside me and serve with me, someone that I could love and cherish for the rest of my life. And I have gone through a lot of heartache as I've pursued that and had doors close in my face because of that. But I've also learned unconditional love. I've learned what it means to step aside 
Because I want that other person to be happy, even if it's not with me. Because the Bible tells me that I'm to esteem others better than myself. And specifically, as pertains to the young women in my life, I'm to treat them with honor and respect. The Bible says for us to honor women as the weaker vessel. That is not a derogatory thing. That is a thing of honor. Our culture has twisted it and said, and said you know, that means that you're weak. That means that you can't do what we can do. And so that means you're inferior. No, it doesn't. It's talking about honor. I saw a really good quote recently. It said this. It said, A real woman can do anything a man can do. But a real man won't let her. Because God has called us to lead. And to protect <laughs> And even as a physically disabled man, I believe that it is my job to lead and to protect. And to prepare for that day when that will come front and center and the Lord does provide that wife for me. But can I challenge you that that's not something that you decide to do the day before your wedding? It's something that you have to prepare to do. I know we have at least one young man here, perhaps more that have not reached that point yet, but now is the time to prepare to be that man of God who will take the lead in his family, and not only his family, but also in the church and in other spheres of life. We need leadership now more than ever. We are failing as a nation and even as a Christian church due to lack of leadership. And the time is now. Alright, so our first point was that Boaz put others first. Maybe do that. Our second point is... Boaz was focused. And for that we go to Ruth chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. There's a lot that we can focus on in this life. There's a lot of fun things that we can do that aren't necessarily bad. But sometimes they take up too much of our time. I've heard it said that adolescence keeps going up the age of adolescence. There was a recent psychological study that said that adolescence lasts until you're 30 years of age. But I want to tell you something. My dad did something very important for me. When I was 13, he sat me down and he said, Today, not tomorrow, not five years from now, today you become a man. Did that mean that I did everything perfect? No. My dad will still tell you, I am not perfect. We still have our conflicts. But I'm ever so thankful for my dad. He's my hero. He shows me what a man should be. Because even when he makes mistakes, hear me. Even when he makes mistakes, 
he owns up to them. He asks forgiveness. Perhaps that is something that we as men need to embrace now more than ever as well, that we will be able to say the words, I was wrong. So key. So, getting back to Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and give a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou hast come to trust. Nothing in this book is said about Ruth's physical appearance. I, I would venture to guess that she was probably fairly pretty. But that's not the focus that Boaz is talking about here. He's getting to the heart of things. He's focusing on her character. As a man of character, which we already established in our first point, he's able to see character in Ruth. He's able to see that this is the type of woman that I want him to have around. And so he genuinely cares for her and he shows her. He says, I don't care about externals. All I know is that I've been hearing that you are this wonderful, virtuous woman who loves the Lord our God, who has chosen our God over her people and her place of nativity. Remember in the beginning of Ruth, it said that Ruth and Orpah both said they were going to go with Naomi. And Naomi said, no, go back to your kindred. Find a husband among your, your people. And Orpah turned back. And who can really blame her? Most of us would have in that situation. Because it's hard to make a change. But what did Ruth say? She said, entreat me not to leave you, for your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I will live with you for your whole life. And then I'm going to be buried with you. And there's nothing you can do to convince me not to go with you. And then not only does she go with Naomi, but she takes on the responsibility of providing what little livelihood she could. And she finds herself in Boaz's field. And I think it's so good to see how God works. Because she could have landed in any person's field, but we will find out as we continue on, that she lands in a field of a kinsman. Someone who can redeem them and make their situation so much better because of his selfless attitude. And he will do that, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Can we, and so now I'm going to look at Proverbs Chapter 31, verse 30. If you are praying for a wife, as I am, this verse will give you good guidelines of what to pray for. Proverbs 
3130 says, Proverbs 31.30, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And what is Boaz doing? He's praising this woman for fearing the Lord. Now we need to, we need to praise as many people as we can for fearing the Lord, but particularly as we're dealing with our wives or our girlfriends, or our daughters, or our sisters. These are things we need to praise because they pay attention to what is validated. And I think a lot of times in society, we validate the wrong things. My brother and sister-in-law have five children. Their youngest just turned one, and I remember when they were pregnant for number four. People started giving them weird looks. Like, do you know how that happens? Or isn't this a huge family? And they have just decided, as my parents had before them, that they would trust God and let Him make the decision on how many children they have. The children are a blessing from God. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 127 that children are a heritage of the Lord. They're like arrows in the hands of a mighty man, and happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. You can, make the, you can make the decisions that you feel are right for your family in this regard, but it's a shame to me that we turn our nose up or turn away from people who choose to let God have control of this area of their lives. I have 17 nieces and nephews and I couldn't be happier because I love spending time with them and it's my opportunity to impact the next generation for Christ until I'm able to have Lord willing children of my own you know if we want the world who aborts babies at the rate of about a thousand a day in our country to respect and love children then we as a church need to take a serious look at the way we love children. So we have to, we've had two points so far. Boaz put others first. Boaz was focused on the right things. He was out working in the fields, leading his reapers. That's how he met uh, Ruth. So be focused. Be working. The third point is Boaz was determined. Once Boaz saw what he wanted, once he realized he could be a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, Look at what it says in Ruth chapter 3. We'll read from Ruth 3, 10 to 18. Ruth 3, 10 
to 18. And, um, wish my fingers were a little nimbler. Um, but Ruth 3, 10 to 18 says, And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for, the, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I can be thy kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry the night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another, and she said, and he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he said, Bring the veil that thou hast unto me, and hold it. And while she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went in the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done unto her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave he me, for he said unto me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he had finished this thing this day. And we see here that Naomi sent Ruth to Boaz because she had a feeling she knew what was up. She recognized the signs that Boaz was very fond of Ruth. And for whatever reason, Boaz hadn't taken any major action to that effect, but she said, go and, lay, go and be with him and he will do the right thing. And then after she comes back, to Naomi, Naomi says, he's going to do this. He's going to take care of this. He's not going to rest until he does what he can for us because he's already proven that he is going to do what it takes. So the next thing I would encourage you to do is that if you know that God is calling you to do something, do it with all your might. The Bible says that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, that we are to do all to the glory of God. He doesn't want us to do half jobs on anything. And He certainly doesn't want us to do half jobs for our families. Your family needs you. And even if you are a single man such as I, your culture needs you. Because they need to see what real manhood is. Manhood is servant leadership. Manhood is saying, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to pray for those around me. And I'm going to teach the next generation, even if they're not in my own family, what it means to love and serve God. And I'm going to be a Boaz in a broken world. I'm going to be someone who 
goes after what they know to be true with their whole heart. Nothing was going to stop Boaz from pursuing the opportunity to act the part of the kinsman redeemer to Ruth. He said, I'll do whatever I can. He said, there's near, there's nearer kinsman, but if he won't take your part, then I will. And if you realize in this culture what he was actually saying, he was saying many things. First of all, he was saying that whatever child, at least their first child, came out of their union was going to be the not the descendant of Boaz, but the descendant of Ruth's husband. Her former husband. And he also took her and her mother-in-law and pledged to care for them for the rest of his life. That's heavy stuff. That's something that he didn't have to do. But he knew as a man of God that that was what God was calling him to do. And so he did it. You may have heard of Josh Harris. He wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Well, his brothers, his twin brothers, his younger twin brothers, Alex and Brett Harris, they wrote a book called Do Hard Things in which they challenged the youth of America to do hard things. To not use their youth as an excuse for not working hard. In that book, they cite a quote from G.K. Chesterton where he says, Um, something to the effect of the Christian faith has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried. I'm going to see if I can find the quote because I don't want to get it wrong. Um... But basically the idea that we don't always put the effort in that needs to be put in. They point out in their book that the Reader's Digest was where, where, the, where the term teenager was coined. It didn't happen until the 1930s. So, all that to say that I just really feel like manhood needs to be something that you grow into throughout your life, not something that's triggered overnight. Okay, I think I found it here. Just a second. Appreciate your patience. Here it is. 
Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found found difficult and not tried. Think about that. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible says that if you seek, you will find. It doesn't say you might find. It doesn't say hopefully, eventually you'll find. It says you will. So if we're not finding, it means that we're not seeking. We need men who seek God. That's where real change happens. So, we have so far seen these three points. Boaz put others first. Boaz was focused on the right things. Boaz was determined. This is our third point. Before I go on to point four, I want to just read from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Philippians is my favorite book. Um, my life verse is in there. I may finish up with that. But, um, but this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained... Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may be apprehended, that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, that's where the model of my ministry comes from, which is speaking for him who spoke for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, my dad told me something very convicting and challenging once. He said, a lady is not going to want to follow you if you don't know where you're going. And that applies to you if you're already married too. So when you think about your leadership role as a husband and as a father, do you know where you're going as you lead your, your family? And perhaps you don't always. There's no shame in that. But you know who does? The Good Shepherd. Who guarantees to lead us whenever we need it. Alright. So we're wrapping up this study of Boaz. So we're going to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. And um, we're going to read verses 9 to 11. My final point is that Boaz was a redeemer. And Boaz said unto the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Melon have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead unto his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of this place you are my witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate said, 
We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thy house, like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And of course, as we end the chapter, we see the genealogy that leads all the way up to David from Obed, who was the son of Ruth and Boaz. And we all know who David was. The greatest king Israel ever saw. A king whose descendants have reigned forever because the ultimate descendant of his throne was Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The one whom we serve. The reason that we're here this morning is because Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary. Everything that I've said today will have no application to you if you don't know him. Might I encourage you that if you don't know him, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says that while we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he did that so that you and I could have the ability to be a man of God that is perfect in all things and lacking nothing. But if you lack Jesus, it's like having a skillet and trying to make your bacon without plugging it in. If you want to bear fruit for God, you have to be plugged into the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So the question is, are you plugged into the vine? Because there is a sense in which God calls us to be priests to our family. We're responsible for the spiritual upbringing of our wives. So Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are to wash them in the water of the word. You can't wash them in the water of a word that you don't believe in. And if you believe in it, you can't wash them in the water of a word that you don't actually bathe in yourself. So can I encourage you to get into this book? It's where life is found. It's where all the answers to life's problems are found. And yes, Sometimes you have to search a little deeper than the surface. But the Bible says that if we find the gems of wisdom that are in here, it's better than gold or silver. Or any precious stones. And because Jesus rose again on the third day, he showed that God was pleased with his sacrifice. And that sin was forever defeated. Even though sometimes we live with the reality of still being in sinful flesh, we know that eventually we will be on the other side. We will have perfect bodies. I will not have a need for a wheelchair in the new heaven and the new earth. I'll experience the sensation of walking for the first time, but that will probably be after I've already fallen on my face before God and thanked Him for who he is and for what he did in my life. You want to be the protector and the guide 
for your family or your future family, get in the Word. And don't just know the words of this book, but learn to know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Because that is where you will have and find all the wisdom that you need for whatever role God has called you to as a man. And don't allow the culture that we live in today to tell you that your role is not important. Don't allow the culture to say that there's no need for different roles because God made it that way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that He made the woman for the man. And He says that He put the man over the woman just as Christ is over the church. And we know that Christ is not a dictator. He's a servant. He said, I come to you as one who serves. When the disciples were all, who's going to be the greatest, Lord? He just said, I'm going to die for you. And then they're like, who's going to be the greatest? And he's like, the Gentiles lorded over you, but I am come as one who serves. So you want to be a man of God? You want to be a man like the man, the perfect man? Then be a servant. I just want to read a short verse in Ephesians chapter 5 since we referred to it a little bit earlier. Then I'll share my life verse and I'll close with that. But in Ephesians chapter 5, 23, we read this. Um, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to read chapter 20, or verse 25, because we already alluded to the truth of 23. But I just want to leave you with this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, when Jesus was in that garden, and he was agonizing, and he said, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Father, I don't want to die. But if this is the only way, thy will be done. And when we talk about what Jesus said about, if you save your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. We often think about the ultimate sacrifice, the martyr's death, and surely that could be a possibility because more people are martyred for the gospel than ever before. But surely it's all talking about the daily dying to self that is required when you are in any sort of relationship, but especially the marriage relationship, where he is saying to you as husbands and future husbands, lay down your life for the wife that God gave you. And you know what? If you lay down your life for her, if you show her that you love her that much, then her submitting to you will be no big deal because she'll know that she's not submitting to a dictator but she's submitting to a servant leader who has her best interest at heart. Might I encourage you to do that? All right, I'm just going to review our points real quick and then I'll end with my life verse. But this is the points that we have for today on being a Boaz in a broken world. Number one, Boaz put others first. So do your best to put others before yourself. 
The Bible says it, so it's true. Boaz was focused on the right things. Don't focus on externals. The Bible says that a beautiful woman that lacks discretion is like a ring of gold in a swine's snout. Focus on internals. Focus on character. And if you know that your wife or your daughter has character that you notice, make sure they know it. Because they will respond to that which is validated in them. And they will go after the type of person that will validate those things. So Boaz put others first. Boaz was focused. Then Boaz was determined. He knew what God wanted him to do and he wouldn't rest until it was done. And he provided Naomi and Ruth with a livelihood. Remember, Naomi came into Israel again from Moab saying that she was empty. Call me Mara because the Lord has stripped everything from me. But then in verse in chapter 4, after Obed is born, she says this about Ruth. She says, Ruth was as good to me as ten sons because she was faithful. And then finally, Boaz was a redeemer. He stood in the gap. He did what was necessary to save Ruth and give her a livelihood. And he produced an heir or a, an ancestor of Jesus, Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. All right, I realize I've gone a little long, so I'm just going to wrap up with this. I want to share with you my life verse. It's found in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You want to sum up everything that we've said today? Think of verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you live with that in mind, you will be the man that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being here this morning. I thank you for each of these men um, that you brought here. I know it was for a purpose. I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to speak to them, I pray that your word would penetrate where we need it to penetrate, that we would walk out of your changed people, not the same as when we came in. Lord, I pray that you would bless um, Pastor Bob and everyone else who works here and just uh, make this church a vibrant witness for you throughout this community. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Places. It's expensive. Um, and uh